Welcome to the first episode of Clover and Keys. My name is Eli. And I'm Luke. Uh, we're really excited to start this journey with you all. Uh, we're going to take a second to introduce ourselves and just kind of lay out the expectations for what this podcast is going to be. Luke, you want to start us off? Sure, sure. What's up, everybody? I'm Luke. I'm just your typical Jersey boy, uh, big Nets fan and even bigger NBA fan. Throw it back to you, Eli. All right, yes. Uh, I'm born and raised in Portland, Oregon, but family's from Boston, which means that my dad raised me a complete Boston sports fan. So Celtics, Patriots, Bruins, you name them, I support them. Uh, you know, I've been wanting to start a podcast for a while, and uh, I've been looking for the right person, and I think that I finally found the right one in Luke. So we're really excited to start us off. Uh, kind of your expectations for this podcast, it's going to be a lot of basketball. Every now and then, we'll switch some sports if there's some big news in other genres or other areas. But for the most part, 99% of it, it's going to be NBA-related. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about some college stuff, right, NBA draft, but it's, it's mainly going to be NBA, and uh, we're really excited. This first episode, kind of give you a layout of what we're going to be talking about. Uh, we're going to do some series recaps from the conference semifinals, of course. We're going to give you series previews for the conference finals, and then we're also going to talk about just uh, our series predictions. So to start us off, Luke... Series recaps, first series to end was Phoenix and Denver. Uh, what did you think about that series? Phoenix versus Denver. Um, personally, it's a series outcome that I, I saw coming from a mile away. I've been saying that for quite some time. Um, I think I think the biggest takeaway from that, uh, like when you look at the differences between the winner and the loser, is the depth. Like, sure, granted, I think you could make the argument that Phoenix had, the, uh, had a much better top heavy roster you know in just terms of like the best players they definitely had the best players but in terms of just overall depth denver was obviously the favorite there and it, it showed i mean when you invest about probably 80 percent of your cap into your top four players and uh, one of them goes down like chris paul did and he was pretty much useless on the floor and then completely useless when he got hurt um that was that took a big hit into their into what they had like on the floor into their just overall talent and ability um and in terms of gameplay, obviously, uh, D Book did his thing. Kevin Durant was shaky; he wasn't perfect. I mean, he was good, but he wasn't. He wasn't KD. Um, and kind of just the ongoing, the ongoing criticism of DeAndre and just not, just not being the defensive presence that we've we've known him to be and have that potential. Going back to his college days. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with everything you said. I mean, looking at the Suns roster in front of me, uh, obviously. You know, Tory Craig would be a good bench piece for any contending team, but the roster is so decimated that he's a starter, right? right. It's 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 not a viable option. This this first guy off the bench normally I th I mean it's like Bismack Biombo and Campaign and Campaign I think exploded for like twenty eight points or something around that in mm -hmm. Game Six, but. That, that that's the issue right if campaign scoring 26 that means that devin booker or kd is scoring 15 and that was the case and it did not it's not gonna work right i think right and not only that but they gave up draft picks in this trade so the future is also a question and obviously they fired monty williams uh which i personally mm -hmm. don't think was the right move i don't think that this team is his fault they made the finals with a complete roster and yeah, just two seasons ago. They did the similar similar thing. They banked on a super team getting rid of all their depth, like Brooklyn did, 
uh, and it didn't pan out, and I don't think it's going to pan out. Uh, you know, that Brooklyn team coached by Kenny Atkinson was so fun to watch. I mean, Jared Dudley mm-hmm. was like a key piece on that team, and he was like like excelling in that veteran role. You had D'Lo, Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, all young, all evolving into these players. And then they made the trades to get Katie and Kyrie, like, in, and as well in the offseason. And even then, before the Harden deal, they had Katie, Kyrie, Dinwiddie, LeVert, and Allen. And Joe Harris. Yep. That's ridiculous. That top six is absolutely ridiculous. I think that team was finals finals ready. And then they gave up even more. Jarrett Allen, Karis LeVert, to bring in Harden, and it was done. Right? And they had a successful mm-hmm. year. Obviously, injuries plagued them a little bit. But, you know, they went all out for it. It didn't work out. And then I don't understand why Phoenix made the same mistake with one of the same featured players on Brooklyn with KD. I don't understand it. I didn't I didn't understand it when it happened and I still don't understand it now, especially after getting bounced in 6. Um and you know, obviously Chris Paul, this dude can't catch a break. I feel horrible for him. Always getting injured, yeah. but I just I don't understand the move. I, I I don't think I ever will. Um and you know, similar, I mean, we can talk about the Mavericks as well, right? Giving up their depth and their picks for Kyrie Irving and now mm-hmm. not only were they better with without Kyrie they're worse with Kyrie and now they have to make a choice are they even going to pay him and if they're not going to then they gave up picks and players for him for nothing it's, yeah for half a year of Kyrie Irving yeah, and not for, even a playoff appearance exactly yeah they they yep. were bounced out of the playoffs I mean it's ridiculous I just don't understand what the obsession is with thinking these super teams are going to pan out right the Warriors that dynasty almost entirely built off of the draft they could have won titles without pursuing Kevin Durant but they did, and they won titles again. They didn't have to, but they did. Um, mm-hmm. You know, even the Celtics now, right? A contending team building through the draft, right? The Bucks, the only pickup that I remember, like outside of like not being bought or traded for, is Drew Holiday, and that was a trade that wasn't even bought in free agency. Right. So it's just it's I I don't I don't understand the obsession with it, but you know I'm not a GM. We're not GMs, but. I think we both would make different decisions, right? No, I think I I think that's the thing. Um, that's like one of the biggest criticisms I have with teams, and now in this case, Phoenix is. I feel like it's just money's become the scapegoat for their for their issues for their um for their shortcomings at, at their job. They didn't give money and and the leaders, the big names on the team, a reliable bench. Yeah. Um, and they just didn't know how to utilize them because they came in so late like that. They just tried implementing guys like Terrence Ross midway through the series. I mean, barely even played. Um, it just didn't pan out, and I, like I said, I saw that come from my way. But it is what it is. Yeah. Now they have to they have to deal with it. Yeah, and of course, uh, I'm sure you're ecstatic about this because you are a Nets fan. You have yep. Mikael Bridges, who erupted into a star completely in that you know end of the year, second half of the season, and it was so fun to watch. I mean, you guys, you guys made the playoffs. You played mm-hmm. four games with Philly. Most of them were tight, if I remember. Um, obviously, Philly was the better team. Uh, you know, that's yeah. just how it oh, was. Yeah. Definitely the favorite. But, yeah, I of mean, course. You guys have young guys. You have a new leader, a new complete leader, star. Uh, Dinwiddie's back, back home. I think I think that was a great deal. And you guys got draft capital as well. I think that's going to work out for you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we got we got picks back. Yeah. The only blemish, the only blemish left on on the uh, on that from that former uh, dynasty, if you even want to call it that. Um, is is the Ben Simmons contract because he's just dead Absolutely. weight. I don't see yeah. him playing. But yeah. Yeah. 
in terms of everything else, though, in terms of, you know, removing egos and everything like that, I, you can't really ask for a better situation. Yeah, I mean, I now, it, it's amazing. Yeah. All right, so moving on, uh, the Heat and Knicks. Mm. Uh, for me personally, I thought this series was an obvious outcome. I thought the Heat were going to win. Um, the one thing I didn't expect was Julius Randle to look like a street baller out there. I mean, the guy disappeared. He's disappeared before in the playoffs, but not to this level. I mean, game six, Jalen Brunson had 45, and Randall quite literally, you didn't notice him. He was on the floor the whole time, didn't notice him one time. He was a ghost I, player. He was just getting cardio in. People make the P.J. Tucker jokes. P.J. Tucker would have been more helpful than Julius Randall in that series. Like, mm -hmm. it's just, it was it was unbelievable. I mean, what, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts? When it comes to that series... Um... When it comes to Randall specifically, I should say, last year I believe it was he also underperformed. Like you said, not to not to the same level as this year. I mean, he was completely inexistent um, in the stat sheet and just on the floor. Um, it was like a five on four when he was out there. But I thought the thing that would that would separate them from last year's performance with Randall was the fact that they brought in Brunson. And I thought, okay, Brunson showed in Dallas that he could he could kind of take on that alpha role and kind of make everyone else's job um, easier behind him he can kind of lead the way so i thought okay so he can be kind of like the the one b to brunton's one a uh he doesn't have to be you know the number one guy which is i think made sense i was like yeah he, i don't think he's the first option um but like jared allen said the lights were too bright it just seemed like i just he just couldn't show up he just the shot selection wasn't there um the focus just wasn't there there's just times where he just looked like mentally just removed from the game and you can't have that when you're giving that guy the contract that he has i mean you just can't Jalen Brunson can't do it all. He tried. He dropped like 40-something in that one. But, I mean, that's one guy. And you, you yeah. need more from Randall. And um, I can't blame the Knicks fans for being upset. I mean, how many times are you going to watch that same guy go out there and, and just not do his job? Yeah, absolutely. Now, I Somebody mean, Jalen Brunson, in the span of about a year, went from the guy giving Luka the help that everybody said he needed to being the guy that needs the help now, right? Um, and it's 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 fun to watch, right? I mean, I remember watching him at Villanova. This guy was a stud. I did mm -hmm. not see him being a top scorer and the leading leader, one of the best offensive players in the league uh, today. I just didn't see that. I thought he was going to be a pass-first guy. But uh, he was a lot of fun to watch. He gave us a lot of fun plays. Uh, yeah, I mean, and also, at this point, what really is the true value of Randall? I agree with you. I think it is time to move on from Julius Randall. But where's his value at? now right um i saw an interview from side talk which is like the nyc just you know they just got on this yeah yeah and talk to crazy people um but what's it's like how many first round picks can you get for him if you're just looking for picks what level of player can you get back for him right because in the regular season you can rely on him to be a 20 and 10 guy um his defense I, i've never been a big I've never been high on randall's defense or his effort there mm -hmm. Uh, but you know, that's not really what you sign up for, right? You sign up for the rebounding and the offense. Um, but now in multiple years in a row disappearing in the playoffs, obviously this year, a little bit different, right? He's coming back from an injury, but still mm -hmm. completely disappearing. Uh, you, where, where do you think his value's at? It's tough because I think about it and I'm like, there's not really a reason for another contender to take him because if you're trying to contend, He's shown no no consistent, I should say, history yeah. um, of showing up in the playoffs. So I don't see why a contender would want him. Um, I don't see why a rebuilding team would want him because he's not like it's not like he's shown this uh, 
extravagant leadership role either to be honest with you so i don't know i think i i think probably the best case scenario um for the knicks would be able to be able to maybe get some picks for him and swap those picks maybe on draft night or before that for um for like a veteran piece because thing is i think the knicks are from what i from what i kind of see from the outside looking in they want to still compete going into next season so picks are nice but picks aren't going to help them in the in their timeline so i Hopefully they can get picks and swap it because I just I that's I think that's their best case scenario. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's tough for me. You know, you mentioned the contender. Not only would they, you know, be questioning his ability in the playoffs, but what contender can afford that contract as well? True. Right. Uh, Boston can't afford it. You know, as much as the, the Warriors got bounced. Right. We'll talk about that in a bit. Um, but you know. I think it's still as they as long as they have those three guys and they can retool their roster, uh, they're still a contender. They can't afford him. Uh, the Bucks, as of now, certainly can't afford him. They have three huge contracts. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think. You know, Nuggets can't afford him. They got those three big contracts as well. It's tough. Right. It's tough. Um, and he's put them in a tough spot with his performance because do they continue with this roster and waste that money and not be able to sign other people or do they avoid the draft capital they can get they put he's put him in a tough position i said to my dad after that game you know i think if they keep that roster together they can compete but the one question mark is can julius randall find a way to perform in the playoffs and if he does then yeah. they can absolutely compete you know they'll find younger they'll find the young guys uh tom thibodeau is a phenomenal coach they're a very well coached team i think that's part of why they were so good but, mm-hmm. you know, they have a huge question mark in one of their stars. And it's it puts the, a team in a really tough position. Um, and um, mind if I just jump in for you? Yeah, for absolutely. absolutely. Uh, when it, I, one thing that comes to mind with me, too, uh, when it comes to just his play style is does it is that really is his play style conducive to a winning a winning environment, like a winning team? He I mean, he's not really like Giannis, like a power forward like that, like a transition guy like that. I mean, he can, but a lot of times we see him do like a lot of back to the basket, like slow down the pace. And I don't, I just don't know if that's conducive to today's league. Yeah, I agree. Uh, there was actually a play down the stretch where he caught the ball at the elbow and was kind of waiting for guys to cut off of him. But rather than him moving his defender or finding a good position, he just held the ball and pivoted for like 10 seconds. And before he knew it, he shot like a step back corner three after being guarded by Jimmy Butler, right? There's no motion, there's no movement. He catches the ball and it's a ball stop, right? One of the criticisms with Joel Embiid and the Sixers has been when he's not playing, Tyrese Maxey and Harden can run the floor and their offense is so much more fluid. But with Embiid back, it's automatically every single time a set half court offense and it slows them down so much. Now that is no means saying that they are worse with, with like or better without Embiid, but it changes the way they run things. It changes the way they do things on offense and defense because it mm-hmm. it's a different game plan, right? So that's another thing, right? Is Randall fit into that play style? You think about the guys they have around him. Mitchell Robinson can run the floor. Jalen Brunson can push the floor. R.J. Barrett can push the floor. Uh, Emmanuel Quickly, Obi Toppin, they can all run. Julius Randall can't. It turns into a half court offense. It's a similar similar thing. So yep. they have they have some decisions to make for sure. Okay, um, moving on to the Lakers and Warriors series. Uh, honestly, I had the Warriors in six and seven, so I'll take I'll take the L on that prediction. Um, 
What I will say, though, is that I've always been high on the Lakers post-trade deadline, and I think it's really showing right now is that how, how good they can be, right? And I think that this can carry over into next year, depending on how they do in the offseason, how they do with free agency. Um, but I've been really impressed specifically with the role players. Uh, Austin Reeves, Jared Vanderbilt, and obviously mm-hmm. I know Delos sounds stupid calling him a role player, but with this team, he's a starter, but he really is a role player, right? Mm-hmm. The two features will always be Anthony Davis and LeBron, but I mean, they played their asses off this uh, this this series, and it was a lot of fun to watch. And obviously, I'm a Celtics fan. I don't like the Warriors right now. I love Steph, but you know, Warriors franchise a little upset with them right now. But uh, I, it was a fun series, and I I was surprised, honestly. Uh, what what do you think about that series? That series, um, I, I think it was kind of the, it was kind of just another example of the the golden rule that I follow. Just never bet against LeBron. Like I just, he always finds a way to, to make it work, no matter what pieces you give him. More times than not, um, and I just think it was another case of that. Like um, obviously the Warriors, that whole dynasty has a whole has a whole history of dominating in the in the uh, in the West. Obviously going back to a decade ago, uh, almost. Um, but this year was different, you know, they kind of came in, um, Clay obviously is not what he used to be. Uh, Curry is the same, if not better, actually, which is amazing. Wiggins, we know, was gone for a really long time with his personal issues. He kind of came back, just kind of thrown into the playoffs and just, I, I just think he just wasn't able to get into a rhythm. Um, but that's the thing. The Lakers came in focused, uh, really deep team. Emphasis on defense, trust in one another, um, and just and just outplayed them. Just simply put, just out outplayed the Warriors and took care of business. Absolutely. Um, I'm I'm looking at some stats right now. Uh, since the NBA trade deadline, deadline, the Lakers have had the best defensive rating in the league at 108.9, and are allowing the second lowest effective field goal percentage to their opposition, which is 50.6. Um, that says a lot because before the trade deadline, they did not play a lick of defense, right? Oh. And good defense now is a little bit different than good defense, you know, 10 years ago. 10 years ago, we'd be saying, oh, the best defense in the league is horrible. But for today's standards, the Lakers are playing about as good a defense as you can. And that's with oh, yeah. a guy in LeBron right now who I think does not play defense. Um, so that says a lot. That means the other four guys are really committing to it, really committing yeah. to it. Um. You know, I was uh, talking to people before the playoffs started. Uh, the question was AD's health. And what I told him, I said, well, it's co- entirely up to AD's health. The Lakers won't go as far as LeBron goes. The Lakers will go as far as AD goes. He's the best player on that team. Um, He's the defensive anchor. If he's not in rhythm, it throws other guys out of rhythm. Because if he's in rhythm, he gets doubled, he gets tripled, and other guys have open shots right he's that yep. dominant i mean in his at his peak he's a top five guy in the league um and he i think he's still capable of that it's just health um but you know obviously he had multiple huge games uh you, there was the whole, you know he had to deal with the media stuff the on on game off game pattern oh yeah uh but you know he ignored that and he and lebron had a few really big games to close out that series. I was really impressed. Uh, you know, obviously Austin Reeves also 
a momentum guy. The crowd loves him. Everybody loves him. I don't think there's a single Austin Reeves hater on the planet right now. You know, the yeah. half-court shot was awesome to see live. That was a lot of fun. Uh, and he plays defense, right? These role players. Uh, there's a big comparison between him and Jordan Poole right now. Who's better? Uh, well, if you look at it, Austin Reeves is more consistent, more efficient, and he plays mm-hmm. defense. Jordan Poole and Clay Thompson completely pooped the bed that series, the entire series, right? Uh, and, and by bucket. Yeah, and Austin Reeves and Lonnie Walker outplayed them, right? That's that's not that shouldn't mm-hmm. happen. That can't happen if you're the Warriors. Um, but it did, and it worked out in the Lakers' favors, and they uh, they got away with a series in six games against the defending champs. So you know, yeah. credit to them. Credit to them for an amazing series and a really fun playoff run. And props to AD for um, for really in my in my eyes, kind of taking over that as that leader on the team. I I, I think that's the biggest difference between this year. Um, in their playoff run and the bubble run, I think LeBron was definitely the the first guy the uh, on that bubble run. Absolutely. But I think yeah. you can kind of see that transition now, where AD kind of takes over the that big role. Um, and he he did it. He excelled that series. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, he's you know, Game Six was a little bit of an exception. I think LeBron set the tone offensively. He had like mm-hmm. nine points really quick. But AD really is the tone setter on offense and defense for that team. If he's in rhythm totally on both ends to start the game, the Lakers are going to win almost every game they play. Um, yep. And I think that stands for the Nuggets series as well and probably their finals matchup, uh, you know, depending on health. But, yeah, it'll, it, you know, again, credit the Lakers. One and six against the defending champs. Beating Steph Curry is n- very hard to do. Uh, and and they, they pulled it off, so credit to them, right? They're advancing the Warriors' arm. Uh, yep. And then obviously yesterday, we had a series end in seven, Celtics and Sixers. Jason Tatum with a 51-point explosion. An unbelievable performance. Most points in a game seven all time. Uh, You know, what are your thoughts on that series overall? Obviously, it was an up and down series for the Celtics. Everybody kind of expected it to be over a lot quicker than that. But, Mm -hmm. you know, went to seven. They closed it out. What are your thoughts? Oh yeah, like you said, I, I think um, I myself included, I definitely had that expectation going into that series, um, thinking that they would, the Celtics would take care of business a lot faster. Um, however, but they they showed in Game Seven, even with all the screen that Tatum stuff, uh, all the all the company got, that they just were the better team, and they they just came to play, um, it just showed up better. Uh, you look at the, I think it was Game was it Game Six, I believe, and then. Embiid said, like, I didn't get the ball. Like, they just weren't feeding him the ball for long stretches of time. That They weren't feeding the MVP the ball. That just kind of, me, just kind of shows, like, a, a sign of just, um, just disorganization, like, on, on just, like, a, even just, like, on, on, a, on a team level, just between the players. Um, and there's times when Embiid was, uh, kind of scared to go up with it like that, getting pep talks from, uh, PJ Tucker. Um, you just, you just can't have that. You can't have that in the, uh, in the playoffs. You just didn't expect to win. James Harden, um, anyone that knows me knows how much I, I love his play style, which is an unpopular opinion, but it's true. I, I just love me some James Harden. Um, but yet again, just did the Houdini effect, just disappeared like that. I don't think he um, he didn't hit 10 points in game seven, nope. didn't hit 10 assists, so just didn't didn't really excel either. Um, and that's that's been that's been a, a common a common trend with Philly whenever whoever they've run out in the playoffs. And I saw something, I heard something either last night or this morning that really. It, I didn't really ever didn't really hit me until I saw it. And I was like, "Wow, Joel Embiid has never played in the Eastern Conference Finals in his entire career." Yeah, yeah. 
it's I mean, that's wild yeah that is wild for a guy of his level but at at some point you have to consider it a reflection of who he is as a player um at least that's that's my thinking i know that's not everybody's mm-hmm. thinking but you know you're the mvp uh he wasn't my choice but he was the league's choice you're the mvp yep. you're supposedly the best big man in the game this is your year and yet again you fall short in a series where you were up through two um the question okay. has been uh one can his conditioning stay up and two is he a team guy or is he an individual guy does do his individual performances and accolades matter to him more and you know mm-hmm. with cases in Kyrie's situation i think for Kyrie, it's individual um and i think it's the same thing with Embiid. i don't know how much he really cares about his team's success right uh mm-hmm. even yesterday it, a weird, really weird interview post-game said, you know, me and Harden, me and James can't win alone. As if him and James didn't play horribly in that game. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I mean, James... And opposing yeah. our game, yeah. And, you know, moving on to Harden, the Nets series, he had four bad games. He didn't play well. They escaped with four wins but because they were just yep. a better team. Uh, and he had two good games against the Celtics. Two of them. And the other... S- other you know five weren't weren't good performances and it showed on game seven right the inconsistency showed um yep so really really weird for joel to say that i did not i didn't i didn't get what he was trying to say there um you know tyrus maxi had a good series young guy oh yeah really coming into his own and it's just a weird thing to say when you right after an abysmal performance from yourself and the other person yep. you were referring to. It just didn't, didn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, and, you know, I'm going to assume that in the next 70, 72 hours, Doc Rivers is going to be gone. Um, I think that might have been his mm-hmm. last last year with Philadelphia. He'll probably get picked up by someone, most likely. Uh, and I don't necessarily think it's all Doc Rivers' fault. I definitely don't. I'm not high on the Sixers. I'm a Celtics fan, so naturally. But mm-hmm. I'm assuming he'll be gone. So, you know... Who knows what the team is going to look like next year with a new coach and probably a roster retool as well after this. I mean, well, um, there's been that coach plague like we've seen, um, which would also lead us to believe that Doc is coming on. So, but that uh, that opens up possibilities like Monty and uh, Budenholzer, two coaches of the year. Absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah. So maybe they'll do some with those guys. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then you know, moving on to the Celtics side. Uh, one of the things that's been a theme the last, you know, two, three years has been home court advantage is basically non-existent. Last year, mm-hmm. lost in uh, game five at home, had to go win game six against the Bucks in Milwaukee and then win game seven. They did it. They did it. Uh, same thing last year against the Heat. Had to go and win games or sorry, lost game six up three, two. And then had to go win in Miami in Game Seven, right? The home court advantage yep. has not been there for him. Ime Udoka said it last year. He doesn't think it's going to be a factor, and he didn't. He didn't mean it as in they do not win their games at home. But that's been what's happened. They've had to go win on the road in these important games, and they've done it. Um, and I'm not sure exactly what that issue is. I don't, you know, talking to people, I don't know that anybody will argue that the Celtics have the best top eight in the league by far. Uh, mm-hmm. Smart. Brown, Tatum, Horford, Williams, White, Brogdon. Um, sorry, top seven. The best, like, seven. Oh, and Grant yep. Williams, actually. Yeah, top eight. Grant Williams. 
Yeah, don't forget him. Yeah, yeah I don't think great. anybody questions that. I don't think anybody will argue that unless they're just a ridiculously biased uh, Milwaukee Bucks fan or something like that, right? Um, mm-hmm. But they got it. They need to. They need to figure out a way to play like they want it every night. Last night, you know, obviously Tatum's on fire, but the entire team's energy was on from the start, right? Uh, you could take a hundred clips from that game of people screaming, like players just showing so much emotion, and that wasn't there through six games. It was only there game seven when everybody was on fire in the yeah. second half. They need to find a way to have that from the beginning, and it doesn't have to be that your team is on fire every game, right? That passion and emotion and the want to win, they need to find a way to have that consistently. Uh, it's weird because the team is so insanely talented, but it's just it's it's not always there. And I'm wondering what you think that is or what you think they can do to figure that problem out. It's it's tough. Um, I don't know. I just I feel like they've I, I just feel like it's it's a tough conversation to be had. You know, I I feel like if it was easy, if it was an easy resolution, it would have been solved by now. But we find ourselves kind of with similar questions year by year like that season by season. So I'm not I'm not really sure. Yeah, it's it's strange for sure. Um, you know, we'll see. I, they have a really tough series, right? We'll talk. We'll talk about the uh, Heat and Celtics in a bit, but you know they'll have a tough series. They have to play playoff Jimmy, right? It's never fun. Yeah, they've they seen it before. Yep, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, you know, series uh, series preview: Lakers and Nuggets. Uh, you know, my first question is obviously one: Who do you think is going to win the series, and what amount of games? But also. Who who are the X factors for you? Who are your two X factors for both teams? Right? Who's who's going to be the difference makers? Okay, so for this series, I think I think regardless of who wins, I think this is going to be one of those classic seven game series. But I personally find that the Lakers are going to sneak through uh, and take it all in Game Seven. And I think the biggest X, X factor for the Lakers side has to be has to be D'Lo, because we've seen the games where the games where D'Lo was on offensively and he's making his shots i mean the offense it it goes from being like above average to like great and the games where he's off and he's just not hitting those wide open catch and shoot threes um and pull-ups like in transition it they kind of stale and um you could see that you could see the drop in offensive production just as a team and the flow um that's there so that's that's my x factor for la in terms of denver I'm I'm gonna say I'm gonna say MPJ. He's another guy kind of like that, where he can kind of be like a microwave score. And uh, if he's on, if he's on, then that offense is unstoppable because I think a lot of the uh, focus is gonna be put on Jokic, obviously, on the defensive end. So it's gonna come up to a lot of those role players. And obviously, MPJ is one of those those guys that um, who has the capability of scoring. Um, but I already have the expectation that guy that you know Murray will uh, do his thing. So to me, I, I have MPJ as the X factor for for Denver. Okay, yeah, uh, you know my my two picks are going to be a little different, but I don't disagree with anything you said there. Uh, yeah, I agree with you specifically on the D'Lo one. When he's hitting his open shots, which he gets a lot of because there's a guy named LeBron James on the team, uh, it, it changes everything. Right? I mean, you can say that about a lot of people, mm-hmm. right? It's kind of like a thing you can say a lot, like a generalization. Oh well, if you hit your open shots. You're, you know, you're going to play better, but obviously, but it's a different level with D'Lo because he's a guy 
who's already solidified himself for multiple years as like kind of a star, right? A young star. So mm -hmm. all the attention can go to him as well. If Austin Reeves is hitting his open shots, he's not going to get doubled or get two people sent his direction. D'Lo will because they know what he can do, right? He led a team. He led that young Brooklyn team. He was the leader, right? Yep. So he solidified himself in that role. Uh, it, it'll change everything. And then, you, you know, Michael Porter Jr., I'm not high on him just because I don't love shot chuckers. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but... Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I agree with you. He's obviously an, an important piece for the Nuggets. Uh, for me, for the Lakers, my X Factor is LeBron. And I know that sounds really basic, but he's going to be guarded by Aaron Gordon. Um, you know, obviously, I'm not one to say, oh, you can stop KD, oh, you can stop LeBron. Uh, but you can try to contain them. And Aaron Gordon has a track record of being really good at containing guys like that at that level. Um, you know, True. KD had a few good games, good games. But outside of that, against the Nuggets, he was, you know, the efficiency wasn't there. We were talking about it earlier. Uh, the efficiency wasn't there. And that was because of Aaron Gordon's defense and his effort and his physicality. And, you know, similar to Andrew Wiggins, I think Aaron Gordon is going to try to play a really physical brand of basketball with LeBron. And oh, yeah. whether or not the refs will reward for LeBron for selling a lot of the contact, I think will, you know, reflect the outcome of the series because I think there's going to be a lot of that. Um, uh, yeah, so whether or not LeBron can figure out a way to play around the physicality and the annoyance of Aaron Gordon's constant defense, I think will be an X-Factor. And the other one isn't necessarily AD as a player, but what AD's body can take on defense against Jokic. Mm. Um, you know, it, the first thing I said when the Nuggets were matched up against the Suns, I said, man, Jokic is going to take Aiton to school down low. And he did. He did every single game. Uh, and I think he's going to do the same thing against AD just at a, a lesser level, right? Because I don't think there's anybody mm -hmm. who can stop Jokic. There's nobody who can stop Embiid. There's nobody who can stop AD. Um, the same thing. You have to try to contain him. I think AD is going to be better at containing him than DeAndre Ayton. But what does that put Jokic at? You know, four 30-point triple doubles instead of six or seven, right? Uh, yep. It's it's a completely different level. And I think that AD's body and what he can take defending Jokic and also performing on offense, crashing the glass, I think that depends a lot. I think his conditioning and his fatigue will play a big role in the series. Um, at least on the Lakers end. For the Nuggets, um, my X Factor is Jamal Murray. He had a few mm -hmm. really inconsistent games against the Suns. Uh, games where he did not perform and they lost. Uh, whether it was inefficiency or, you know, being completely lackluster on the defensive end. Uh, it didn't really matter. In games where he didn't perform, they didn't win. And, you know... There's games where he becomes a ghost player, where he's just running up and down the floor, getting cardio in, missing shots, and not really playing defense. And then there's games where he's absolutely excellent on both ends of the floor, and the effort is there, and the energy is there. I'm waiting for him to just find that gear to where when he's having an inconsistent offensive game, to also impact the game facilitating and playing defense. And until he takes that step, I don't think the Nuggets are ready to win the finals. And that's why this year I think the Lakers are going to get past him. Because I don't think I, I don't think Jamal Murray is ready for that, and I don't know why. I think he should be. He, they've had playoff experience, 
but I don't think he's ready for that step because he's still doing it. If he's doing it in the semi if he's doing it in the semifinals, he's probably going to do it in the conference finals. And I'm not saying he has to shoot 45% from the field and 40 from three every game. I'm just waiting for him to take that step as a player to be a leader every game, no matter whether he's performing specifically scoring-wise or not. And he hasn't done that. He's never proved that to me that he can do that. Um, but if he chooses to do that this series, which the Nuggets will need him to do, mm-hmm. then the Nuggets are going to win this series. But Definitely I don't sure. think he's going to do that. <laughs> I'm not confident in that, so that's why I have the uh, the Lakers in seven. Same as you. I think they're going to squeak it out. I think they're going to go into Denver and win in game seven. Um, you know, it's gonna it'll be it'll, it'll be a fun series. It'll be a great matchup. Oh, it's got yeah. I think it's gonna be a classic, yeah, no matter what the outcome is. Yeah, but, absolutely. Um, definitely. Um, and then you know, kind of specifically talking about AD and Jokic. Uh, what do you kind of expect from that matchup? What do you expect from AD? What do you expect from Jokic on both ends of the floor? Well, for Anthony Davis, I think I think the biggest expectation is for him to be as consistent as he's been, especially on the defensive end. They're going to need him to do everything he can to get the ball out of Jokic's hand to have a legitimate chance on a game-to-game basis against the, against the Nuggets. Um, that's something that can't that can't be broken is his defensive impact because the second the second he doesn't stick with that game plan and just um, kind of lead their their way, as you said, being that anger down there. Um, it's game over. So from the tip off in game one, he has to, he has to stay focused on that end, especially, um, and on Jokic's end, he kind of, in a way, um, it, it's kind of basic to say, it's kind of a simple thing, but he has to just kind of keep doing what he's doing. He has to keep himself engaged on the offensive end and get his own, um, while also just looking for his guys like that, keeping a, keeping a supporting cast ready to go and, uh, getting them the good looks, um, that's the thing that's that's denver's biggest threat is their offense um in comparison to what i think lakers best best threat is their defense so if he can keep getting them to open shots like that that's going to be a, the biggest challenge really is just to keep up with their offense so Jokic just has, has to keep that offense constantly whenever he's on the court just keep the offense alive at all times yeah absolutely i i agree with you 100 um i'm i'm really expecting a superstar battle this series um i think it's going to be Jokic's skill versus ad's will if you get what I mean, I think oh, it's going to totally take a lot from AD on both ends to escape with a uh, serious victory for the Lakers. I think he's capable of it, but, uh, you know, again, going back to it, I've said it five times already. Can his body take it? I don't know. We'll find out. Um, I hope it can because I want this series to go to seven and I want to see a victory. And honestly, I want the Nuggets to win. I'm a Celtics fan. I hate the Lakers. But I would not. Sure. I wouldn't mind a uh, Celtics Lakers finals. And I, I you know, I'm a, I'm a LeBron guy. I've always been a LeBron guy. I'm a big fan. So, you know, I want to see him succeed. Uh, but I, but he's a Laker, so I don't want. I don't want the Lakers to win, but I want LeBron to succeed. So I'm a little, little torn there. But yeah, uh, and and Jokic specifically, you know, it'll be a different level of defense than DeAndre Ayton, right? AD is an elite defender. Um, yeah. So. He'll be forced to facilitate a little more, which we know he can do. And that's the issue for the Lakers, is how to combat that, right? If you double him, he's just going to find the open three-point shooter, and it's going to be raining threes all day for the Nuggets, unless they just have a horrible shooting game, which can happen, which will happen. I'm sure it'll happen one or two games in the series. That's usually how seven-game series goes. Um, But, you know, that's the danger, right? Celtics have to double Embiid. He's not a great facilitator. Jokic is. 
and how the Lakers play defense, I'm not sure. I'm curious what the game plan will be, if you have any idea or any, you know, any uh, predictions for how they're going to game plan Jokic or whether they're just going to go one-on-one -on -one and just, you know, ride AD's energy. I, I think it's really going to come down to... Um, I think it's really just going to come down to, um, at times really trying to trust that man defense but then there i think there will be times where if they they see him being too much of a threat offensively they're gonna they're gonna double him they're gonna put two bodies on him and they're gonna and they're going to challenge the nuggets supporting cast and say like people like mpj like my x factor like we're gonna leave you open make us give us a reason to actually put a man on you right now because we're gonna double we're gonna double your mvp down there give us a reason to guard you to put a man on you and they're gonna have to hit those shots Absolutely. 100% agree with you. All right. So next series prediction, or just next series preview, Heat and Celtics. Rematch of last year's Eastern Conference Finals and uh, three years ago in the bubble. Uh, yeah. You know, one of, I saw the first post that I woke up to was, you know, well, the bubble was a fraud, fraudulent playoffs, but it's the same teams as from the bubble in the Conference Finals. So, uh, you know, who are your X Factors for this series as well? The X factor for the series, um, I kind of, I kind of reflect on the, the matchup last year, and I look at that, and I kind of look at, think about the the disappointments in that series for Miami, and that there's no question, the biggest disappointment there had to be Bam. So I have that as that as the X factor. Will he will he learn from that experience from that matchup last year, and go into this next series, um, kind of playing with that aggression that he had against the Knicks, or will he fold again and? not really have that aggression and not be assertive down there in the post on the block and um just kind of become a stalemate on offense and defense so that's my that's my x factor for for miami looking on the other side for boston i'm gonna say the x factor is jason tatum and the reason i say that is because i i think it's pretty obvious that he's uh, the leader of the team like that uh for the celtics him and him and brown but specifically tatum um he he has to show up. He can't he can't have the inconsistent games that we saw him have uh, throughout the course of last year's playoffs like that. That was the thing that really set them back when they were playing against like Golden State and um, really they kind of got away with. Uh, I remember against Brooklyn, they couldn't get the shots and they were let under supporting cast. So I really think if they wanna if they wanna take it all in this series and advance to the finals, they gotta have Tatum lead the way and be more like game seven like we saw last night than some of those other games where we see he's just abysmal through the majority of the game they need him good all four quarters all the games i agree with you i agree with you um yeah my x factor is the same for miami it's bam Adebayo. uh he was shut down by al horford a healthy al horford and a hobbled robert williams right uh you know mm -hmm. a lot of people Last year, talked about the Milwaukee and Boston series, talked about how lucky Boston was that Chris Middleton was out, which I agree with. Uh, you know, Marcus Smart also missed a game, and Robert Williams was rushed back from that surgery. He was not healthy, yeah. right? You could see him limping on the court. That run is not bouncing. He's not He's not jumping out of the gym. He's, he's, he's you know, running up and down the court, uh, putting very little pressure on that leg, on that knee. Uh, and if Bam struggled against that... I think he's going to struggle against a healthy Rob Will as well, and a and a and a competitive Al Horford. Um, but I think he's talented enough to not struggle. 
I, I don't know what the issue is with his aggression against the Celtics, but it's never there. And I don't know why. And that's a theme in the regular season as well. During their matchups, he just shies away from, from the offense. I don't understand it. He's bigger. He's stronger. He's more athletic than Al Horford. He's, you know, he's not more as he's, he's about as athletic as Robert Williams in terms of jumping. He's certainly a lot stronger and he has a post oh, yeah. bag. So I don't understand what the issue is with him initiating offense for himself, right? You, I, I'm like, I can't picture Eric Spolstra saying, oh, shy away from scoring opportunities because Rob Williams is guarding you. No, there's no way he says that. There's no way he says that to the second best player on the court, like on the team. True. He's Eric Spolstra is, we'll talk about Eric Spolstra as well. That's a, we'll, we'll be talking about him a little bit, but just I, in general, I don't understand what the issue is. Um, and honestly, I hope that BAM performs because I think it'll make it a way more fun series to watch. Um, you, I, you know, obviously, I'm, I'm biased. I'm a Celtics fan. So I think the Celtics, Celtics can close out this series in five or six realistically. You know, with Miami, I'm not as high on them. I don't think the Knicks were ready to play them uh, just because they're so young and Julius Randle isn't a good playoff performer and they match up right. well. So I had my I had uh, Miami winning that. But I think that if the Bucks played the Heat again... You know, obviously Giannis played in three games, but he's not, he wasn't Giannis. He was injured, right? Yeah. Uh, you, you oh, know, yeah. An injured Giannis can still give you 25 and 10 and look like Giannis, but it's not. It's not the same. It's not the same. So I think if they played again, I think the Bucks would win in four or five. So I, I, I'm honestly not that high on Miami. I think they've had a pretty free road to the conference finals uh, so far. Um, That's true. But you know they always give the Celtics trouble. It's always a it's it's like Toronto and the Celtics, right? It's always close, no matter who the superior how superior the other team mm -hmm. is, right? Uh, you know, uh, Miami beat them in the bubble. Celtics have beat them twice now. So, you know, I'm hoping I'm hoping that uh, they can pull it off in five or six. Um, oh, I do have a question for you on that series. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how in a perfect in a perfect scenario where uh, Tyler Hero and Old Debo are still healthy, do you see that changing the outcome of the series at all in terms of game, the amount of games, or even the winner potentially? Um, you know, Tyler Hero is a little different than Victor Oladipo with roles. Um, earlier this year, Celtics played the Heat with basically their bench, similar like they did with the Bucks, uh, and they almost pulled off a victory with a healthy Heat team. Uh, and then same thing with the Bucks. Uh, you know, I'm I'm not sure how much that changes the series. I'm really not. And specifically with Victor Oladipo, I think that Tyler Hero is a changer on offense. He's a liability on defense. Still doesn't play any defense. You know, Pat Riley called him out last year. Nothing has changed in terms of that. Very true. Um, yeah, and the Heat are worse than last year. Their record wasn't as good. So, but yeah, no, I don't think so. I mean, if anything, okay. it pushes it to six rather than, you know, possibly five. Okay, um, that's fair. Yeah, You know, again, I just think, you know, what what's the bench? Where's the depth for Miami? You know, uh, their starting lineup kind of mixes. It's mixed because now they kind of Kyle Lowry coming off the bench in a few games. You know, Gabe Vincent, Max Struss, uh, Jimmy. I, I always forget if it's Caleb or Cody Martin. Uh, I always forget too. Yeah. I just know it's Martin. That's yeah. the same way we do. Yeah. And then bam, right? And then you have Lowry and Duncan Robinson off the bench. Yep. And you replace Lowry with Vincent, depending on the game coming off the bench. 
uh that's not you know gabe vincent's a guy who's very average against every team other than the celtics uh i don't know if you remember this but gabe vincent shot the lights out against the celtics last year in the playoffs like it was unbelievable. i do recall that it was unbelievable yeah. and then against every other team he's just average so average on both ends of the floor um and he's done that he does that in the regular season too so uh i'm not hot yeah I, there's no depth there and duncan robinson getting paid you know 90 million dollars uh to to not even probably not even play against the celtics because he can't play defense they have maybe six guys they can afford to play um so you know not not too high on them and you know you bring tyler hero it moves to seven you bring victor oladipo technically would move to eight but still those guys off the bench versus the celtics three off the bench it's a whole nother level it's completely set it's a completely different um very true and you know victor oladipo he played in 42 games this year um yeah it's just you know i i don't know i, I and those four through those 42 games the heat were very good you know they were average but playing playing mm -hmm. team basically the whole year so I, I i'm not sure that he would make he'd make a difference either um okay but yeah and then you, you know i kind of said it without saying it but my x factors for the celtics are you know a, a kind of a tandem of robert williams and and al horford um depending on how they play against bam out of bio so yeah um, and then, you know, game planning for the Heat, specifically uh, how they defend Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, because the big piece that's missing is P.J. Tucker. He's gone, mm -hmm. right? So what do the Heat do now to combat Jason Tatum? Uh, you know, there's not they're missing that physicality now. They can't put Bam on him because then that puts a guard on Al or Rob Williams. You know, they give him, they give uh, Tatum Jimmy. That leaves Jalen Brown with a mismatch, right? So who? Yep. So what do they do? What do you think they do? I think you you put your your best player and defensive player, which is undoubtedly Jimmy Butler on on Tatum, on their best player. Um, but like you said, then that leaves that leaves a guy, a great score and player in in Jalen Brown, with not a good defensive player to match up against him. Um, but I, I think it's the lesser of two evils, honestly, is a typical game player. They're like we'd rather we'd rather put a bad matchup on on Brown than than on Tatum. Yeah. Um, that's the thing. There really isn't, like you said, especially with the guards like that, the guards and forwards, there really isn't, outside of Jimmy, like just reliable defensive options. Duncan Robinson, yeah. like you said, he's the walking liability on that side of the floor. Yeah, absolutely. You um, know, same with Gabe yeah. Vincent. You know, Gabe Vincent has good hands. He's quick. But, you know, Jalen Brown could just shoot over him. Uh, could huh? just rise up. Yeah, he's short. You know, Jalen Brown is one of the most athletic players in the league. His shot, he has some of the most verticality. Um and then if you switch it to Jason Tatum, Jason Tatum's shot is already unblockable. It's like he's shooting over a mouse if you put Gabe Vincent on Jason Tatum. So, oh yeah, same thing. And then, you know, there's the thought, you know, you put Kyle Lowry on Jalen Brown or something, hope that he gets into foul trouble because Kyle Lowry would just flop the whole time. But that's not going to happen. So, you know, what they do, it's 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 tough. It's a matchup nightmare for them. It's a matchup nightmare. Um and then you know the Celtics. It's a some. It's it's not a, the same thing because they have bigs to guard Bam, and you know they have such a luxury of switching Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum onto Jimmy Butler, right? Uh, yep. One one through four, the Celtics can switch nearly any ball screen. Um, it, it's you know Marcus Smart. I can't speak, you, you know, higher of him. I mean, a guy you can switch one through five and just rely on him to get a stop. What a luxury that is for any team. Oh, great. Right? You can switch Marcus Smart on Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. 
what team has a guy that can do that? There's not a other, there's not a single other team that does that. That switches nope. a guard one through five. Uh, you know, there's times where Marcus Smart was the primary defender on Joel Embiid. Last year, there was times where he was the primary defender on Giannis. Giannis. Uh, so it's just like it, what a luxury that is, and I think that the Celtics game plan really shouldn't be focused on you know shutting down Jimmy Butler with one guy. I think they really need to rely on ball screens and switches because they can't afford yeah. to do that. Um, obviously, it'll be different. You know, I'm more comfortable with Robert Williams getting switched onto on the perimeter on Jimmy Butler. Um, but, you know, if they can figure out a way to contain the ball screens with switches and then not switch that final ball screen that would put, you know, uh, Al Horford or Robert Williams on Jimmy Butler and move smart to Adebayo. You know, if they can just play that screen normally, I think that I think I truthfully think that playing ball screens will determine the outcome on defense for the Celtics. I think that's their game plan. Right. I think that makes no sense. Um, yeah. So, uh, next thing is just you know we were talking about it earlier before we started re- recording this episode, uh, but mm-hmm. Eric Spolstra, right, hasn't won a Coach of the Year uh, in the past. You know whatever decade basically um the consistency and success that he has had with his rosters is unreal right uh you you brought it up a really good point uh post post miami lebron all this stuff you know Dwayne wade the the final Dwayne wade teams the -hmm. second guy on those rosters was josh richardson and they still found success in the regular season and won playoff series you know, never, I don't, I don't yeah. think they ever, they didn't make it past the second round, but you know, they beat the Hornets that one year, right? When Dwayne Wade was talking smack to that purple shirt guy. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, that Hornets team was like Kemba Walker, and Courtney Lee, you know, not a great team, but they made it to yeah. the playoffs and they won a playoff series. You know, at one point do, does Eric Spolstra pop up in these conversations? I understand that his team wasn't extremely successful. But I don't. I, I find it hard to believe that that's a reflection of him when all he sees is success. success uh, wow, when all he sees is success every single year, including in the playoffs, regardless of his team's performance in the regular season. Uh, not very very true. Um, I mean, I know a lot of people are um, kind of subject themselves, maybe subconsciously, to recency bias. So if that's the case, I mean, look no further than just the last series, um, Miami versus Milwaukee where he made that game plan where he pulled Bam, I believe it was Bam, out of the game in that last possession when they were down two. Um, so then so then Milwaukee Boonholzer pulled out his big, I think it was Brooke at the time, Brooke Lopez, to open up the rim so there's no rim protector for that lob play where, where Jimmy caught the lob and tied it up to go over time. I mean, stuff like that. That 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 to me is just like a thousand IQ. Like you don't get that from your just run of the mill coach. Like that's 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 an elite coach. Who just sees plays before they even happen just constantly thinking about the next play absolutely yeah and you know the, there's stories about eric spolstra and his way he you know climbed up the ladder he just spent years watching film and dissecting it by himself on his own time and it pays off right every single time the miami gets a counter they play around it on the same possession and that's a reflection of him right Obviously, they have Jimmy Butler. They have veterans who are smart. But, you know, Eric Spolstra has has coached every single kind of team with every single different kind of roster, every single different kind of success, 
and it shows it shows day in and day out because his teams always always perform and they always figure out a way to win games when it matters most um and it's yep. incredibly impressive and it's a it's you know it's a testament to his game knowledge and how much he cares and how much he knows about basketball and the sport um you know if it, truthfully he is the he's been the mvp of the team obviously jimmy butler's had an amazing playoff run but just throughout the season to win those games in the play-in tournament to make it and to continuously succeed in the playoffs you know that's a reflection of his ability as well uh and he's he's been he's the mvp for the heat in this playoff run for me and i'm sure we'll see a lot of articles come out this week regarding the success of the heat that say the same thing in fact looking at it now there's a washington post article um that's talking about uh the success of the heat and how reliant it is on just eric spolstra's uh ridiculous ridiculous uh coaching and his level of coaching yeah i mean it can't it can't go unnoticed i mean it's it's the little thing so that that just and that, that's what separates you know a, a decent team from yeah like from a playoff team like that and uh, he's been able to from from day one as a coach been able to make those tiny little adjustments like that that's been the difference of countless games um which have amounted to amounted to runs like this where they have these rotational pieces which a lot of people don't you know think stack up well against other teams and rightfully so but they make it work they they find a way to make it work with all these undrafted guys like that and yeah you, you can't you can't ignore Spolstra's um play into all that you just can't yeah absolutely uh you know last last thing before we hit our uh at our end of recording here uh you know predictions for the series and then your finals predictions as well you know might as, might as well update those as we go sure um coming out of the east yeah sure absolutely Austin. Yeah, Austin. Okay. no yeah i'm just it's i see i'm battling i'm battling realist versus uh versus bias yeah, versus riding the uh, the playoff jimmy I, wave I, I, well, that's the thing because I, I'm an OG Jimmy yeah, fan. Like, I, I love right Jimmy. That's my, that's my day one. Yeah, that's my favorite player. So, I'm, I'm Team Jimmy. So I'm, I'm rooting for Miami. That's where my heart is, but my head's telling me, as great as Jimmy is, Boston's even better. They are much better just all around. Un- unfortunately, for, for the sake of Jimmy and the Heat, and I, I just, I, I think you're right. I think, I think Boston comes out victorious. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I sure hope. I sure hope so. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I've you know I said I said it before Boston in five or six, uh, and then you know Lakers in seven as well, and then you know uh, predicting predicting finals matchups here, you know it's just I don't, I don't think it's necessary yet. I think we're too we're too early in. Uh, yeah, way too close to call yeah. yet, especially for that Western matchup. Exactly. I, yeah. I, I yeah. You know yeah. you know uh, when we record our next episode, a few games will have passed right in the conference finals, so we'll get to talk about mm-hmm. those. Uh, yeah. This, I think this is a really good start. And I think that this podcast is going to be something really consistent. It's going to be something really fun. And we're really excited to have you guys along this journey with us. Yeah. Can't wait to just keep going like that, you know, see where this takes us. Absolutely. All right. We'll run off with this episode. Thank you, Luke. Uh, thank you for listening, guys. Uh, you know, we'll be back next week as well. So have a good day. Peace out, everyone.